Amen. All right. Bruce, am I on? All right. That's good. Well, again, it's good to see you this morning. I guess Tommy wants to come up and say hi, too. (laughs) Hi, baby. I love you. So, praise God. Praise God. All right, so we are back in Philippians. Been excited to get back in Philippians going verse by verse. And uh, we ended last week our series on the church. And uh, if you want any notes from that, just let me know. Um, but we ended last week with a challenge. I want to remind us of that. We, we ended um, with saying that the purpose for the church, uh, the reason that God instituted the church was for His glory, was for His honor, for His name's sake. And so in light of the glorious gospel that has saved us from sin and death, uh, the challenge was um, that we would take that next step of obedience in pointing other people to Jesus Christ in our life, whatever that looked like, whether that is inviting someone to church maybe who, is, who needs to come hear the message of Christ. Uh, maybe it is giving someone a gospel track and telling them, um, hey, you know, um, Jesus Christ has done so much for me. Would you, would you please read this and consider this? Maybe it is telling that person your own testimony. Maybe it's telling them what God has done in your life. And then maybe you need to actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and ask them to repent and to trust their, put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, and then also, we are in February now, and so uh, let's see how we're doing on our scripture memory. Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. Day by day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, here we go, into February, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. There we go. Okay, keep it up. I know our kiddos are working on it too. So we are going to uh, memorize the Word of God this year together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and dive in. Father, Lord, we are so thankful, again, that we can just gather together, that we can worship. Lord, I thank you, um, God, for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you are doing in our midst here in Glendale, God. And I just pray that um, you would just uh, help me to step aside, Lord, and, and that your Word would be seen for what it is. God, that people would hear from you that the power of the Spirit would be awesome in this place, that Jesus Christ, as He truly is, would be on full display, Lord, and that You would just receive all the honor, all the credit, and all the glory, God, that we would not walk out of this place the same as when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Philippians. Philippians, to live is Christ. So Philippians is a letter of joy. It is a joyful letter that Paul wrote. You cannot get through the first four verses without this theme blaring in your face. In verse 3 he says, I thank God, in in chapter 1, I thank God in all my remembrances of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. He closes the book in chapter 4. He gets close to the end, and in 4 verse 4, he says to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. And so keep in mind, this is coming from a man whose life was not all dandelions and rainbows. 
He had a very hard life. And at the time he wrote this letter, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. He did nothing wrong other than obey Jesus Christ in proclaiming the gospel. So this joy that he wants them to have, and that I would say also that God wants us to have as his children, is not a feeling. This joy is not a feeling. This is primarily not an emotion of happiness that is connected to our life's circumstances that we may think are good or are bad. A promotion at work. When everything is going well in our family, when we have good health, when our loved ones have good health, when there is not enough money in the bank, and we're not really sure where it's going to come from and what the answer of the Lord is going to be. We don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's why this joy is a supernatural work of the Spirit of God in our hearts, has been poured out in our hearts, not because of our circumstances, but despite our circumstances. We have a deep, abiding, continuing joy that is in Jesus Christ. And for Paul, the seed that gives birth to this root and this plant of joy, again, is Jesus Christ himself. What Christ accomplished for us on the cross, in the grave, and rising, ascending to the Father, and the promise that we have of his glorious return that we are waiting for. So Paul had an urgency. When you, when you read this letter, you, you go through, and I, I, again, it's good sometimes to just sit down and read it in its entirety, or read, uh, read it twice and read the whole thing. So read chapter 1 and 2, and then read chapter 3 and 4. And when you read it, you, you, you start to hear this urgency that Paul has in his voice because he's sensing his own mortality. He's sensing the fact that he might not make it out of prison, and he didn't make it out of prison. He was, he was a martyr for Christ. And so he wanted them to stand firm in the joy of the Lord until the good work that God had begun in them was completed at the day of Christ. So it's been a while, right? It's been about six weeks since we've been in Philippians. And so we need to remind ourselves and ask ourselves, what is it that drove Paul to write this letter to begin with? Uh, and in your, in your bulletin, there's an outline, and we're going to have some, some slides up here in a little bit on the screen that kind of you can fill in. Um, we're going to be looking primarily at chapter 2, verse 19 through 24 today. You're probably like, well, where in the world are we? It's been six weeks. I know we're in chapter 2, but not quite sure where we are. So we're going to be looking at verse 19 through 24. But we're going to remind ourselves a little bit about the context first. So it's been about 10 years since Paul, Silas, and Timothy Uh, went to Philippi and planted the church. And so Paul is in Rome. Again, he's under house arrest writing this letter. Uh, And in Philippians, unlike a lot of the other epistles, he he doesn't have to pull his apostle card. He he doesn't have to to pull his authority and say, now now remember that that, that Christ commissioned me. I am one of the least of all, he does say, I'm one of the least and last timely, uh, timely born apostle. Uh, but he doesn't have to do that here. It's pretty clear that they are friends in Philippians. And um, so, but in, in, again, in 60 AD, you, you, you know, you couldn't just 
write someone a letter. You couldn't just email them. And so you, you had to have paper, you had to have pens, pen, you had something to write with, and you had to have someone to be able to carry that message to them. So here's, so here's the background. It's sometime after Paul planted the church in Philippi, and if you want to read about that, that's in Acts chapter 16. He was constrained by the Spirit of God, Acts 20 tells us, to return to Jerusalem, which resulted ultimately in his arrest after being uh, bounced around between different authorities, similarly to how Jesus was, and between Acts 21 and 25, he winds up in Acts 25 asking to appeal before Caesar. And so he's waiting his trial before Caesar, and in that meantime, he writes the letter of Philippians. Now, it seems counterintuitive, if you're a church planner and a missionary uh, in Acts 20, to go to the place where you're, you, you know that you're going to be arrested, that you, 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 you know, and as a matter of fact, a prophet told him that he, he was going to be bound and things were not going to go good for him in Jerusalem. And this is where, in Acts 20, 24, his response to this sums up his theology and it sums up his philosophy in life. Acts 20, 24, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the name of our series, uh, to live is Christ. And, and his response, I think, really sums this up. In Acts 20, 24, he says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We see the same attitude here is in the one who saved us in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, tying this back in, is that the way of the, 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 way of the exalted Messiah was one of emptiness, it was one of brokenness, and it was one of obedience to God. But Hebrews 12 reminds us that it was also a path of joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So the Son of God humbled himself by taking the form of a human. He emptied himself, but not of his divine power, but of his divine rights for a certain time, for a certain task, and he became obedient to his daddy's will by placing the welfare of other people above his own. And Jesus is not the only model uh, of humble service to God, but he is the only way that we are able to humble ourselves and to serve Christ. And Paul was living, Paul was living proof that a right doctrine, the right belief about Jesus Christ leads to humble service both for God and for others. And so the section that we are going to be looking at today, um, in the, the section that we're going to be in, I should say, for a while, the first blank there on your outline, um, and this is, this is from uh, Matt Harmon, he's a commentator, but, but he, he said, uh, between chapter 2.19 through chapter 4, you have this uh, three examples of what a Christ-like mindset looks like. Um, and so these three examples, these three uh, men are Timothy, Epaphroditus, which is, we're going to look at next week, and then Paul uh, himself as an example later on in chapter 3. 
but we can just stay there for a minute. Um, So if you would, please stand, if you're able, uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, We we do that not just as a formality, but we we do that to honor the fact that um, I may have a lot of things to say this morning, but this is the most important. Um, that if we didn't have a preacher and no one prepared a message, that we could just have some come, someone come up here and read an entire epistle or something, and the Lord is going to work. The Lord is going to do something. So that's why we stand when we honor the reading of God's Word. So we are going to read uh, chapter 2, kind of fragmented. We're going to read chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, and then I'm going to read uh, chapter 2, verse 19 through 24. So chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others also. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant." Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to to the point of death, even death on a cross. Chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered of the news of you. For I have no one like him, uh, for for I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth and how as a son with, with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly that, that the in the Lord that shortly I myself may be able to come also. May God bless the reading of his word. You all may be seated. So the connection here between those two passages that I just read, if you're wondering what it is, in the first part we see this connection between Christ and then the way in which Timothy modeled the Christ-like not only mindset but the way he lived as well. And so the beginning of chapter 2, again, reminds us of our motive for loving the Lord for being united as his people and that it is rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, um, so what we have before us over the next uh, few weeks is going to be three human examples of what it means to live a godly life. And the fact of the matter is we need examples Our goal is to image and to imitate Jesus Christ. But the thing is, is Christ was the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, both fully God and fully man, and we will never be that from a human perspective. Therefore, we need fleshly men and women to display what it means to live a life completely surrendered to Christ. John Cullen, Alan Lynch, Casey Lewis. Names that may not mean anything to you, but they mean a whole lot to me. So when the Lord called me into ministry, He graciously brought these men into my life to shape me, to mold me, to teach me about His Word, to show me what it looks like to love their family, how to shepherd the flock, how to have compassion, and how to preach the gospel. And so, 
I can stand up here all day and I can preach about patience or I can, you know, preach about mercy, but how much more impactful is it when we see it actually lived out in the life of someone? And so this is true both for young people in the church, for children from Tommy's age, all the way up to our oldest member. We need godly examples in our lives. Uh, Thomas Brooks, a Puritan, he said that example is the most powerful form of communication. And I believe that's true. So Paul uses these three men that they would have been very familiar with. And he starts with Timothy. He starts with Timothy in verse 19. And he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you uh, soon so that I may be cheered of the news of you. The reason that it says that Paul decided to send Timothy Uh, or that he sent Timothy, uh, was for him to be cheered by the news of him. That is, he wanted to be, it literally says, to be released from his anxiety of thinking about them. And this good news, he really did hope and believe that he would hear a good report on the Philippians. And so Timothy was going to be Paul's representative while he was in prison, and he's going to assess the spiritual situation in Philippi, And he knows and believes that it's going to bring a happy and encouraging report. You know, and this is true um, for pastors as well. To be able to hear of someone who the Lord allowed you to use in their lives, that they are still walking with God today. It cheers, I tell you, it brings so much joy to someone's heart. Maybe not even a pastor is when you make that phone call And you say, you know what, I'm still living for the Lord. I'm still walking in His ways because of what you did in my life, how the Lord used you in my life. So Paul must have thought that all of this would probably take place before he would be able to come and visit. Verse 24 tells us that he had plans to come and visit also, but he wanted to know how they were doing. Now, there are two bookends in this passage that we might be quick to just read through because it's the Bible and it's epistle and we see words like Lord and Jesus a lot in there. And so in verse 19 and verse 24, you have these, these two bookends that I don't want us to miss. But he's, he, Paul's talking about his logistical planning, about sending Timothy and about him coming. And he makes these two statements at the beginning and the end. He says, I hope in the Lord to send him to you and I trust in the Lord that I too might come. And the fact of the matter is that even in both the large things in life, the big things in life that we're planning, and the small things in life that we're planning, is that our confidence and our planning should be done in the Lord. Now this is, just, this is much more than, you know, slapping Lord willing on the end of our conversations. You say, you know, well, I'm going to go do this or this. Yes, Lord willing. And, you know, we all say that. But it's more than that. It is more than that. It is in our prayer and in our planning, are we willing to change what we want and what we desire to allow the Lord to lead in a different direction? And this is how, and you know what's cool about this is this is actually how Paul wound up in Philippi to begin with. If you remember in Acts chapter 16, they're going through planting churches, doing missionary work all throughout these regions, and the Spirit wouldn't let them go into Bithynia. And he redirected him and redirected him another way. And then he and Barnabas split ways. And, 
And, and you just see Proverbs 16.9 played out, that the, that the mind of man plans his ways and that the Lord was just directing their steps. Paul's confidence was ultimately not in the Roman justice system or in the fact that there really were no, that, that just like with Christ, these were bogus charges that, he, that were made against him by the Jews. That he was disrupting the faith, that he was preaching against the law and Moses and the prophets. It was not even in the fact that he was a Roman citizen. His confidence was in the one who loved him, saved him, and called him by his grace to reach the Gentiles. The real son of the divine. So why would you use the word divine? Well, around that time, Julius Caesar, on all the coins in his days, had a picture of himself. And underneath was the inscription, the son of the divine. And then Jesus comes along and someone asks him, hey, should we pay taxes? You remember that? And what, remember what Jesus said to him. He says, render to Caesar what Caesar's and render to God what is God's. And the irony of that is, is as powerful as Caesar was in his day, God was the real imperium. God was the real one who was in charge over all things. God has created all things. God is in control of all things. And even in the minor details of our lives, it says in Matthew that he knows the number of hairs on our head. He cares. And he is always willing to lead and to guide us. That's not the question. The question is, are we willing to submit and to follow the hymn by Isaac Watts. There's a, there's a line in, in one of his hymns I love. It says, There's not a plant or flower below, but makes your glories known, and clouds arise and tempests blow by order from your throne. While all that borrows life from you is ever in your care, and everywhere that we can be, you, God, are present with us there. So we all have plans. We all have expectations. We all have things and dreams that we would like to see come to pass. But we need to be okay with, not just okay, we need to move to being comfortable and confident in the fact that God is sovereign over all things. And praise God, I'm not in control. Oh my goodness. I mean, we have a role to play, yes, But I am not the captain, nor do I want to be. And so, verse 19, why, okay, verse, verse, sorry, verse 20 through 22, why did Paul send Timothy? Why would he send Timothy and not someone else? Well, for one, they already knew him. They already knew him. They knew his character. Also, it was because chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So, uh, Timothy was actually with Paul in Rome. But he also sends ahead with him a brief resume uh, with Epaphras in the hands of Epaphras for Timothy to prepare the way uh, so when he would come to check up on them. So verse 20 through 22, uh, number one is Paul sends Timothy because they were kindred spirits. They were kindred spirits. It says, I have no one like him. They spent a lot of time together. Literally, it says they were like the same soul mind. You know, have you ever had a friend like this? 
You know, someone where you could, you could finish one another's thoughts. You could finish one another's sentences. You just, you know, you hadn't seen each other maybe in a long time and you can just kind of pick right back up where you were and just keep going. And it's just so natural. And that is what Paul and Timothy had, but their bond was very different. It was, it was a spiritual bond that they had with one another. They had a common Savior. They had the common grace of God and they had the common mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, it says in our text that, uh, that he would be genuinely concerned for their well-being. He says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? And what's interesting is uh, this verb here, genuinely concerned, is the same one uh, that is used in chapter 4, verse 6, when he talks about sinful worrying. It's, it's used in a negative way there, but here it's used in a positive way. It's used uh, in, a, in a positive way. And so it's, it's basically where you're so concerned about someone or a situation that someone's in that where it becomes a burden. It becomes something that you just can't get out of your mind. I, I knew a Christian counselor like this once. And... Um, he said that when I disciple someone or when I mentor someone, I'm like a sheep. And I listen to their problems and, and I walk with them. And it's like they just, they just pour this dirty water all over my wool. And I just sop it around and just drag it around with me everywhere I go. But what was interesting is he says that God uses this to remind him to pray for them all the time. When he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's thinking about it, he takes it to the Lord in prayer. And so he gets up underneath the heavy load of others' burdens. And instead of just worrying about it and trying to do everything on our own strength, he takes it to the Lord and he's able to better minister to them. So why, was, so why were they so concerned about the Philippians? Well, because again, it had been a long time since they had communicated with them. And while they did have overseers and deacons in the church, it says they had pastors and deacons in the church, Epaphras brought them some news that was a little disturbing. There was a couple of ladies in the church who was fighting. There was some disunity in the church. And there also had started to spring up some false teachers within the church. And so Paul looked around at the other ministers with him, maybe in Rome, the other men that he knew that he could have sent to this church uh, as a godly example, and he just couldn't find any. And so number three, he said he sent Timothy because other believers around him were seeking their own interests and not the interests of Christ. They all seek their own interests, not those of Christ, it says in our text here. So there were some uh, both with Paul and in Philippians, who knew, uh, who were not sincerely preaching Christ out of love for Christ and a love for people. In chapter 1, remember we looked at verse uh, 15 through 17, and it talked about those who preach Christ out of rivalry and envy. They wanted to make a name for themselves instead of making Jesus look good. You know, and in Bible college, I saw this sometime. Is it Young men would go and they would start preaching in a church and the Lord might allow them to have some de degree of what they would call success. And so they start writing blogs and they start writing books and they start trying to make a name for themselves instead of loving God's people, loving their family and pointing them to Jesus Christ and feeding the sheep. You know, Timothy 
had his struggles. Timothy had his sins. If you read 2 Timothy, you see that. You read First and Second Timothy, some of those things are addressed. But for all of his weaknesses, he was completely devoted to the interests of Christ. And Paul saw this time and time again over the course of his ministry, that the harvest is always plentiful, but the workers are few. And Timothy was willing to travel over 2,000 miles to strengthen and encourage and build up this local body of believers. The true mark of a believer who is seeking the interests of Christ above their own is self-sacrifice for the good of others. And this is what Jesus did in chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. We just read that a minute ago. And so, number four. Another reason uh, that Paul sent Timothy was because to them, Timothy was a tested and proven servant of Christ. It says, you know his proven worth. You know Timothy's proven worth. And basically what he's saying is, you've seen this guy's character. You know his integrity. You know the hard things that he went through and the way in which he persevered. The same word is used in chapter 1 verse 10 where it talks about approving the excellencies. You're testing and approving him. And Acts chapter 16 shows us again and again that Timothy persevered with Timothy. In 2 Timothy he says, you, he's like, Timothy, you know in Asia everyone's left me except for a few people. And praise God that the Lord allowed him to continue to minister with him and to persevere with Timothy or with Paul. So the Philippians had observed his integrity and his persevering under trials. His persevering under trials. Um, there was a friend of mine in, in Texas. He was from Puerto Rico. And um, he always used to say, he said, he'd always used to say to me, we, we worked in construction together. He'd say, you know the one thing you can bring with you to heaven, Mike? Say, your character. Your character. And I thought about that, and there were things I could critique about that, because I'm really critical, but he's right. We cannot bring our money. We cannot bring our success. We cannot bring anything that we own. We can't even bring, we could bring other souls. We can lead other people to Jesus Christ. But in terms of us, what can we bring to heaven? The really and truly the only thing that we can send ahead the only treasures that we can store up for ourselves in heaven is by treasuring and serving Jesus Christ here on earth. Finally, he also sent Timothy because he was his son in the gospel ministry. He says, as a son has served with a father, he has also served with me in the gospel. You know his proven worth. You see how as a son serves with a father, he served with me. He was kind of his apprentice. Some of you have apprentices at work. They follow you around and annoy you. No. <laughs> they follow you around and you tell them what to do and you're, you're, you're teaching them their, your trade. You're teaching them what to do. And it was kind of like that. It was a little bit deeper than that. Because they would spend time together after quote-unquote work together. They, they spent evenings together. They spent mornings together. They spent meals together. And Paul poured his life into 
this young man, and he loved him like he would love his own flesh and blood. I have had one man in my life, outside of my, my real father, who was that for me. And to this day, he married Brooke and I, and to this day, I still call him dad. I say, love you, dad, and he texts back, love you, son. And it's, it's, it's a bond, it's a, it's a spiritual connection that just cannot be explained. But that's what Paul and Timothy had with one another. It was the family business to suffer well for Jesus Christ and to advance the gospel. They joyfully saw themselves as bondservants or slaves of Christ. Doulos, which is in chapter 2, verse 7, talks about Christ as a bondservant or slave, is used also here in chapter 22. He served with me in the gospel. And so Timothy was not a spectator, but he was going all out. He was in the game with Paul. And this is, you know, this, um, for us, this highlights the importance of discipleship and of spiritually pouring into and training others for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel and the kingdom of God here in Glendale. This is also another reason one of these days, if the Lord wills, I think it would be great if we had an intern at the church, a pastoral intern, someone that I could pour into and that we could pour into as a body and we could raise up and train him in the Lord. So Paul, although Paul was the apostle, he served with Timothy. Timothy submitted to him as a son would to a father. But it's interesting to note here that he said that he served with me in the gospel. He could have said he serves me in the gospel because he certainly was an apostle. He certainly had uh, authority in the church that would allow for that. But he didn't. He said he serves with me. He serves along side me in the gospel, not he serves me. One commentator put it this way. He said, Paul makes it clear that Timothy was, uh, what, uh, did not serve him, but served with him. They served the Lord together in a loving, non-competitive partnership. Paul was clearly the senior and Timothy the respectful junior, yet the two were bondservants of Jesus Christ together together. So here is why he hopes to send Timothy as soon as he finds out what's going to happen with him in Rome. And so verse 23 through 24, we have these future plans both for Paul and for Timothy. And we see that Timothy was on standby. Timothy was on standby. He was waiting for the orders to go, to go, to be deployed you know, I remember a couple of times in the Marine Corps when uh, I had to be ready and, I, and, and they said, hey, you know what, just get your bags packed because it's a matter of hours you're going to go to Afghanistan. And I was stationed in California at the time. And of course, you know, a young Lance Corporal, I was so excited. I was so ready. I had my bags packed. I didn't tell my parents yet, you know, because you don't want to tell them to the very last minute and worry them. But that happened twice and I never got to go. But that is what Timothy was in. He was in this state of being ready to drop everything to do what Paul asked him to do, but ultimately he was doing what God asked him to do. And I ask you and I ask myself this morning, are we there? 
Are we on standby for the Lord? Are you ready? Are you willing to go when you get the call from God to go? And to stay when He says to stay. To be His hands and feet when it's not convenient, when it is not comfortable, when we have to lay down ourselves and our plans for the path that God has clearly put before us. Verse 24, concerning Paul and his potentially coming to them, it is that Paul was being wise and he was patiently waiting for the answer of the Lord. He did not overpromise to them. He didn't say, I am going to be there at this time. Remember, he says, I hope in the Lord to come to you. This is my plans. This is my desire. This is what I want to do. So he didn't overpromise, but at the same time, he didn't underpromise as well. And what I mean by that is, is when we are making our plans, we should, on one hand, not be too hasty to run ahead, but on the other end of the spectrum, not be lazy in it as well. And what I mean is this, if it is in our power to do what God has clearly told us to do, revealed to us to do by His Word, we need to go and we need to do it. But if there are doors and if there are windows and there are doggy doors that are not yet open by the Lord, then we need to wait on Him. We need to be patient and we need to trust Him. And so my hope and my prayer is this morning, if you are saved, if you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you are born again, I have this question for you. Are you trusting in the Lord with everything in your life? Are there areas in your life in which you have not surrendered over to Him. You know, one thing we we learn about Paul and his life in Timothy, and when we read the New Testament, is the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of times our trials, the Lord uses them to wean us off of love of ourselves and love of the world. And so that we will love and serve Him more. So are you trusting in the Lord with everything going on in your life? Are you surrendering all of yourself to Him? Be ready to be at His disposal. And if you are here this morning and you know that you are not saved, I just have one question for you. What's holding you back? Is it that you don't know what God's free gift is? Is it that you think you don't deserve God's free gift? Or is it that you love something more than you love the Lord? No matter what it is, no matter what you're putting your trust in, I pray that you might forsake it and that you might put your trust and all your faith, put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ. Throw yourself on His mercy, repent, turn from your sins, and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Let us pray. Father, Your Word is living and active every single part of it, God. And I thank You for that. Thank You that You did not misspeak one word, God, but You said exactly what You wanted us to know 
Lord, to how to live a life of godliness that is pleasing to you. I thank you for men and women that you've put in my life and that you've put in other people's lives in this room, Lord, to get us to where we are today. And I pray that you would help us to open our eyes to see how we can be Jesus Christ to those around us. Lord, to point them to you, to point them how great, how excellent, how sovereign, how loving, how compassionate and wonderful, Jesus, you truly are. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each and every person that you have brought here today, God. And I pray that, Lord, in this time where we just have us, we sing a song, Lord, that we would reflect on you. We would reflect on your word. We would reflect on your love and your grace and your power and your justice and your sovereignty in our lives, God, and that we would respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.